everyone. It's Natalie Dale here. If you're new, welcome. Welcome to the Head of the Curve podcast. If you have become a regular joining us every month, thanks for coming back. This is an important month. April is Distracted Driving Awareness Month. So we're going to cover that this month on the Ahead of the Curve podcast. This podcast is a series produced by the Georgia Department of Transportation that spotlights the amazing people, our projects, programs that help make GDOT the state's transportation network that is ahead of the curve. So for today's episode, I want you to close your eyes, unless you're driving, and then please don't close your eyes because we're going to get into why that would be a really poor decision during this episode. So if you're not behind the wheel, close your eyes, and if you are, just humor me a second and imagine that today, when you got behind the wheel, you're the best driver you ever were. You've got your hands on the wheel, you've got the radio at an appropriate volume, you're not scanning for a song, you're following all the road rules. You've got, you use your blinker, you're going about the speed limit. Well, I'll give you a couple over. You stop at crosswalks, you look for pedestrians, you're not putting on your makeup, eating, texting, your seatbelt is on, your passengers, their seatbelts are on as well. So imagine today that you are the best version of your driving self. And then imagine that everyone else on the road is doing the same thing. What could we do if we made this commitment every day? How many less insurance claims would there be? How less stress would you have in your trip or in your commute? And how many more lives would we save if we all made that commitment? So as you listen to our special guest today, We're going to talk about safety. We're going to talk about real life things that happen on our roadways. And I want you to, at least for today, commit to being that best driver that you ever were. And then try it again tomorrow. And if we all do it, then we're going to make our roads safer both in Georgia and around the nation. Because the decisions that we make behind the wheel, they don't just affect us. They affect everyone. So let's all make that commitment as we get into some really deep conversation today. We just wanna let you know, we're gonna talk about roadway fatalities. We're gonna talk about dangerous, scary things that happen on our roads. We're going to talk about fatalities. So if this is something that is personal to you or something that might that that might trigger some emotion, you're welcome to join us in May for our next episode. But we also feel like this is a very important conversation to have because our goal at GDOT is to create safe roads and to really turn the tide on fatalities, crashes, and create safer roads in Georgia. So stay with us. We're going to take a short break, and then we're going to talk about the efforts that are being done on Georgia roads. We're going to talk about Distracted Driving Awareness Month, and we're going to talk to a very impactful special family that's going to join us to talk about their experience with crashes on our roadways. So we'll be right back. of Americans acknowledge that text messaging while driving is dangerous, and yet many people still do it. In fact, text messaging is considered the most dangerous type of distracted driving. Any kind of distracted driving endangers the driver and also their passengers, pedestrians, and others using the road. The hands-free Georgia law prohibits drivers from writing or sending texts, reading messages, posting on social media, and other forms of mobile device usage while driving. Let's end this dangerous habit before it ends you and others. Know the rules of the road to keep yourself and other drivers safe. Learn more at gahighwaysafety.org. Remember, don't reply. Stay alive. This is a message from the Georgia Department of Transportation. Welcome back. Today we have some fantastic guests joining us. So I'm excited to have Sam Harris, GDOT's Assistant State Traffic Engineer, and Kelly Roberts, GDOT's State Safety Program Manager, with us today to talk about 
the trends, the alarming trends we see in Georgia and the steps that we're taking to combat those statistics. Sam, Kelly, welcome to the podcast. We are so glad to have you. Thanks for having me. Thanks. So I want to get to know y'all first before we get to know how smart you are. Sam, let's start with you. Tell us how you got to GDOT and how you got to be sitting in this chair today. Sure. Yeah, no, thanks for the question. So mine's kind of a unique case. I uh, was a student at Georgia Tech uh, going into my senior year, and my professor, Dr. Hunter, came to me and said, hey, I have an opportunity for you that I think you would be a good fit for. And so it was the Transportation Engineer of the Future Scholarship, and that scholarship is actually a joint effort with the department. And essentially, you interview with Georgia Tech and you interview with the department. And I actually interviewed with our deputy commissioner, Todd Long, at the time and interviewed with Dr. Hunter. And they they bring in, I mean, some people, they have a good grouping of people that do apply. And the, the person that actually gets the scholarship, they get a research assistantship. So they do their master's at Georgia Tech and they get a guaranteed job at the department. And they have to stay with the department for at least three years. And so that... Honestly, I, I knew I always wanted to work for the department. I sound like a nerd and a geek, but I was right across the street at Georgia Tech in my dorm. I would look over here and be like, that's where I want to work. I knew I wanted to do something that would help people. Uh, so I was able I was able to get that scholarship and then started with the department, started over at the Traffic Management Center uh, and started in our signal group, worked in our signal group for probably three or four years, then moved into a supervisor role uh, within the RTOP program, which is now SIGOPS. And from there, catapulted in, uh, into the safety program. I wanted to do something different, challenge myself, but also uh, I still had passion for safety, uh, even in the signal world, because uh, obviously safety is a part of everything that we do. Uh, and then took, took the reins into the signal or the safety manager position. What about you, Kelly Roberts? Yeah, my story is definitely a little bit different. Um, I started with the same passion, but definitely did not have uh, that directed path. Um, I ended up taking a job um, in traffic engineering, and yeah, it was a job that I didn't even know existed until I had it, to be honest, Um, which is crazy to think of because I had been driving for how many years at that point? I had been using the infrastructure, um, and I didn't even know that there were people out there designing it and, you know, careers dedicated to it and things like that. And as soon as I, you know, tapped into the field and tapped into safety, I I mean, the job satisfaction is is limitless. So I actually started out on, on the consultant side. About three and a half years into it, I felt like I learned um, kind of what I needed to learn from the consultant side. And then there was a little bit more out out there for me um, and through my experience with consultants I was introduced to, to GDOT and you know consultants are essentially just extension of, of staff and I felt like I was learning the most through my um, direct contact with GDOT so you know an effort to be the best engineer I could why not learn directly from the source um, so I, I made the switch to the department happily um, back in 2021 into a supervisor role with the safety program um and i've been absolutely loving it and you know recently i was also promoted to the program manager so i've been you know really enjoying kind of taking the horns a little bit more from that perspective there's so much that goes into the decisions that are made when we're talking safety um and when we talk data i mean we can data data everything um so i hate i hate to data this number but because it it's it's so much more than a number. You've got eighteen hundred, almost eighteen hundred people that lost their lives on Georgia roads in twenty twenty two, and for a while we were seeing a decline. And then in during the pandemic, that fatality number began to increase, and th- and that was nationwide. So that's not that's not specific to Georgia. That's a trend we saw, you know, a- across the board. Um, we had a sixteen year high in the number of fatalities on roadways across the nation, that's almost 43,000 people that didn't go home to their families. And so when we say that safety is our number one priority, I don't, I don't know if people understand how, how serious we take that, not just from y'all's department, but department-wide. And so let's, let's start because I think, I know that people 
it res it whatever they're doing resonates with them. So if it's distracted driving, if it's impaired driving, driving is very personal to people. And unless you're really sort of pointing out what you're doing directly wrong, it's hard for people to fix something that they may not know they're even doing wrong. So let's start to talk about what is going on on our roads. What what are the troubling things that we see on our roads from a data perspective? I think um, it's really interesting because, you know, recently, I'll just label it as, you know, the COVID years. But during that time, I remember when it, it all started to happen. It was around that March time frame as, okay, well, now we're going to all go home. And the first thing that came to my mind um, from a from job perspective, well, the first thing that really came to my mind is I need to go to the grocery store and get milk because <laughs> that's just essentially what we have to do right away, no, right? We didn't all get toilet paper and paper <laughs> yeah, towels, apparently. <laughs> uh, so after I got off the phone with my wife and said, okay, well, I'm going to go pick up milk and bread, uh, I said, look, from a safety standpoint, that I wonder how this is going to be. This might be good. I mean, we're going to get cars off the roadway. So this this actually is going to be a positive. So we're going to see numbers decline. It seems like a no brainer. Yeah. We're like, oh, this is going to be for, for everything that this is, we're going to we're going to see less. And we saw the numbers decline in terms of vehicles on the roadway. And unfortunately, you saw numbers increase in terms of fatalities. And, and like you mentioned before, that that's not just a Georgia problem um, that. Every, every, mostly every state had the same experience, especially in the Southeast. And Kelly and I met with um, safety engineers from the Southeast not long ago at a round table. And they all said the same thing aside from Puerto Rico, uh, yeah. because that's literally an island and they were able to shut it down and people just didn't go anywhere. So, uh, but in, in those, from what we saw, people's driving behavior changed. You didn't have, you had less people on the roadway so they had more freedom to do things. You had less presence from law enforcement because they were stretched thin for everything that they had to do. So people picked up driving trends and that they still carry on into now. And that's last year, I think, was you kind of saw that start to pop up. I mean, you had more congestion because people were returning to work um, into whatever work looked like for them, hybrid, et cetera. But you were able to see that people were making really they weren't making smart decisions on the roadway. One that always stood out to me was right over here on 85. Someone was in um, in a vehicle. It was congested right before you get to the 400 exit. And they were weaving in and out going 70, 80 miles per hour. Uh, and there was a person that was um, broke down on the side of the road. And they lost control and struck that car. Um, and it wasn't them that lost their lives. It was the person in, in the car that lost their life that was stranded on the side of the road. And so that shouldn't have happened. And that person, I'm not, I don't know all the details in terms of, yes, they were driving during the COVID years and they picked up the trend, but that's just from a high level, that's what we've seen. Those decision-making of people just driving recklessly, especially as we get back to a new normal in terms of what we've seen with congestion. That, I mean, I will, we'll tell you the secret right now. I mean, we, from what we've seen, don't speed. I mean, that that's number one indicator. Uh, don't don't be under the influence and drive um, and don't drive recklessly or aggressively. Maybe, you know, we can't get everyone off their cell phones, maybe eventually. But, you know, right now we can't do that. But if we can at least slow people down, if they do get into a collision, it'll be much less severe and, and we'll be able to save lives. I mean, I just want to go back to that number of 1800. That's multiple people a day. And I don't think that the general public realizes how dangerous our roadway system is and the respect that you should have when, when going behind the wheel and really try not to be distracted, you know, whatever it may be. There are so many things that we're dealing with, you know, mentally on the road, you know, there's just so much going on. Um, and then and add speed. Exactly. The, the faster you go, not only the less reaction time you have, but the, the more severe your crash will be. Well, I'll say another <laughs> another secret from my signal timing days. We, we we time signals based off of the speed that you're going. So if you go too fast, you, you're going to hit a bunch of red lights. And so if you go the appropriate speed, you're probably going to get to your destination faster than you are of trying to speed through. And The, the science works there. Yeah. No. And, and I'd say, too, I mean, what we're looking at here is two, two big distinctions. And, and what me and Kelly really focus in on is the infrastructure piece. Mm -hmm. You know, what can we help? change in terms of infrastructure perspective to change driving behavior because the other piece of it is driving behavior so people like to point out that hey you know this roadway is unsafe this intersection is unsafe 
Um, and it may, that may be valid based on what the data says or not. Um, using our tools, we're usually quickly able to say, well, y- your perception on this is a little bit different than what the data says, but it really comes down to how people are behaving on the roadways. And I think we as a society and we as a collective group, I mean, if we take that initiative and behave correctly on our roadways, you'll see a drop in a lot of these numbers. I mean, a quarter of these fatalities is DUI related. And so if we take care of that all together, I mean, that's a good chunk of the crashes that we would be able to eliminate. And I know through the new passing of bill, uh, the bipartisan infrastructure law, I mean, there is, at the federal level, there is a lot of research and um, directives of how to combat, like, just driving under the influence. Um, There's a study that should be wrapping up within a year of technology that that they want to be able to place in cars to be able to detect if you are under the influence or not, and you would not be able to use your vehicle um, in that case. And that would have a profound impact on numbers across the, the United States. And seatbelt usage, that blows my mind because maybe, you know, I'm a child of the 80s, so I, I just, it just happens. Like, I, it's one of those autopilot things where I just put my seatbelt on. And yet we see so many fatalities where there was either no seatbelt or it, it couldn't be determined. Why do we think that is? I think that goes back to maybe a... Like you said, your upbringing, like what's been brought on to you, the outreach, et cetera. I mean, I know this is something we'll highlight later, but that educational outreach is extremely important. And with the new infrastructure law that's in place, it allowed a mechanism that Kelly and I can now actually use to be able to start come like taking that on. Because usually that's more of the governor's office of highway safety and they do an outstanding job. They do outreach billboards, media, et cetera. Um, but now it, it allows us to enter that space, which we've always been very eager to enter. Uh, but really, to answer your question, I, I think it really comes down to, you know, what what is what is what have they been taught through their life? I um, mean, they may just not know um, that that's something that they should be wearing, or um, is, is it not cool to wear? I don't know. I mean, there's lots of things that go through people's minds. I mean, I saw something on Reddit the other day um, that it was an old clip from might have been the 70s or the 80s, but it was interviewing people about drinking and driving. And they literally like walked up to people that just came out of the grocery store that opened up a can of beer and was like, yep, I'm going home. And they're like, well, what do you think if that's against the law now? No, 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 no. That's, I don't like that. Like that, I need to be able to drink and drive when I go home. And it's just how society at the time was thinking of that. But as we've grown, we've understood like, okay, maybe that's not such a good idea. And I think it's the same thing with seatbelt usage. It's like, maybe it is a good idea to put on my seatbelt. And, 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 and thankful for Georgia, I mean, it's against the law. You gotta have your seatbelt on. Not every state's like that. So the challenge is out to the other states is too, is, you know, this is, this is an easy win. I mean, have a seatbelt law. Behavior, we can change in some cases instantly. Putting on your seatbelt, not being distracted. Some things are habits that you have to break, but it's not a project that's gonna take millions of dollars and five years to build it's something that can happen instantly if people start to do it but we also look at how we design the roads in order so so when we look at the roads holistically of designing for safety um talk talk about what the priorities are there we're looking into taking a more proactive approach too when it comes to safety um looking at some really cool data points like harsh braking harsh acceleration um, how does that correlate to our crashes? How can we use that data to better predict where our crashes are going to happen and, and target those locations as a more proactive approach so that we are saving lives proactively ahead ahead of the curve? So you, ooh, well done. <laughs> so you, you, you talk trends, so we're looking into the past, but you're also talking about forecasting, seeing into the future. That is, that's, Kind of blows my mind. You're you're look, you're looking forward and backward at the same time. We get asked a lot about trends when we get asked about, well, why don't y'all just put up this here, or why don't y'all redesign this or take this down, and that that can't always be the way it works because you can't. We talk about chasing crashes. Some some crashes are an anomaly, but it's looking at trends. So how do you look at those trends to really determine? You know, how long do you look at a trend? How do you look at a trend to determine what really becomes a motivating factor for a change? 
Yeah, so we take um, several different approaches. One, when it comes to trends, we like to look at all of the data, um, taking into account, you know, any changes, if there were any other previous projects or any um, interim upgrades, anything like that. Um, we're always looking and, and working towards longer term projects, but another thing that our program has really focused on is also delivering, you know, the lower hanging fruit. What can we do in the interim um, waiting for that longer term so that we can save more lives while we're waiting for that longer, longer project? Um, but yeah, when it comes to trends, there, there are multiple things we do. Um, we like to take a more systemic approach also when we're looking at, at some of our programs. So one of the things we did was we're upgrading all of our always stops. Um, that, that's a great example of kind of the volatility or unexpectedness of crashes, right? It's just a, a matter of time before someone is distracted. Maybe they're on their phone. They don't see the one stop sign and they blow through it um, and, and hit someone. And unfortunately, someone ends up losing their life. So what can we do in advance of that? What additional, you know, again, low cost countermeasures can we do? Signing, marking, maybe there's some additional advanced, you know, signage that we can put. So maybe that that driver has an additional chance to see another sign before the eventual stop sign, maybe rumble strips. That's another, you know, great low cost countermeasure. So those are those are some of the things we're doing too, looking at trends from a systemic viewpoint, as opposed to just looking um, on a location by location basis. And education's vital. And we, yes. because we get, we, we have started to reach out to younger and younger audiences to really set the tone early. So Sam, do you want to talk about some of the programs we have that are really education focused, whether that's um, things that we do at a elementary school level or certainly our safe driving summits is, is a new sort of venture from the department with the Let's E43 Foundation that has helped to reach thousands of teenagers and we, we have more to go. So from an education perspective, what are the priorities? Yeah, I mean, so we, we spoke earlier about the the new uh, bi bipartisan infrastructure law that went into place. And then in that law, it said you can now use the federal safety dollars to be able to do educational outreach. And we were very excited when we saw that because we had something already in the works with the Let's See program. But I actually, I'll hit on some of our OG programs, so to speak, of like the safe routes to school. I mean, us being in uh, the classroom environments, engaging with students, whether that be from elementary school, middle school, now high school, uh, the Safe House School Program has done an outstanding job. I mean, we have 520 partner schools. That's to cover 80 counties, 91 school districts. That's over um, 345,000 kids that we impact with that, with Safe Routes to School, uh, which is amazing. And then on top of that, we, we partner with over 400, what we call friends in that program as well. So that's advocacy groups, government, community groups, law enforcement, et cetera. We do bike radios where we actually come out and let students um, learn how to ride a bike or learn how to ride a bike safely. We do helmet fittings uh, to make sure that the helmets are on uh, correctly. Uh, we also do things like crossing, crossing guard appreciation. We give out awards to crossing guards throughout the entire state and say, look, you're, you're doing an, an excellent job. Like, um, and, and that's, that's that's really important to be able to to be able to provide that kind of feedback to them. But other than that, I mean, we obviously we have our other programs like Drive Alert, um, Arrive Alive. Uh, the Seen and Be Seen uh, campaign was was extremely important. Um, the we don't we've done work with Scholastic in the past, and we have some new exciting work that's coming out here very soon uh, that hits similar to what we did with Scholastic and be able to get into the curriculum with with students in, in their classrooms. Uh, but but Recently, yeah, the Let's E43 was really groundbreaking in how we approach that. I want to say, I want to call it intervention uh, with students because, and, and I say that because there, there's a proven safety benefit of that intervention. There's research to back this up on why we're doing this. And that is, is that when kids at a young age, um, when they are, when it's brought up to them, like, hey, this is how you should behave on the roadway. This is why it's important not to be distracted in driving. This is why it's really important that you don't drink and drive, et cetera. Uh, it has shown that a vast majority of the kids that have this intervention, they they don't follow in and, and get into really bad crashes, et cetera. When you look at a control group that isn't had an intervention versus the group that does have intervention, there's a vast difference between those groups and research. So it was really important for us to be able to figure out a way 
to, to do that intervention and be in, um, be in the face of the students. And so when, when the Letsy partnership, um, and that's, that's with Mike Letts and Kirk Ken, uh, he's, he's out, um, his son went to Auburn, got into a crash, unfortunately lost his life. Uh, and that really spurred his motivation to be able to tell his son's story, but also be able to showcase that to get other kids to make the right decisions. Uh, so the, the concept for that is that, you know, we hold these events, they're usually held, they can be held at a college uh, or be held um, at a community center, et cetera. We bring in uh, 300, around 300 students um, for each one. Um, we do a keynote with Mike. Mike actually comes in and talks about his son and, and why, why what happened to his son happened and why it's important that we don't let that happen to other people. But we have four sessions. We have a session on Share the Road. We, have a, we actually have an 18-wheeler come on site and we have um, experts in that field be able to talk through you know why it's important to give distance to, uh, to um, commercial motor vehicles we have um, law enforcement out there I know motor vehicle compliance is out there and they actually have set up their cars around the truck and they let students come and talk to them we have like the number one safest truck driver yeah. uh, in the state of Georgia who comes out and, and he lets the kids you know get up into the truck so he can see you know where or the students can see where the blind spots and see that they can't be seen and you know honk the horn just for fun also something that they would <laughs> never have experienced I mean yeah they, they would, you it's yeah. it's it's really the ultimate of walking a mile in someone else's shoes to sit yeah. in that cab and to see what you can't see yep exactly the other session we do is knowing your law enforcement uh I mean every one of the law enforcement members that we've seen at these uh, summits and, and that we've worked with in our field, et cetera. I mean, they have, they have as much passion as we do of making sure that you get home safely. Another session we have going into the actual um, hospital room, what it would be like in the ER and triage. And, and that session is so incredibly powerful. Um, I just want to say you know, I've, I had heard about this session and, and how moving it was. And I was like, oh, I, you know, totally believe it, but also took it with a grain of salt. Sure. Um, and then I witnessed it myself. And one of the great things is to see how impactful it was to the students. And, and you could really see that one thing is so, you know, GDOT, we would have our little booth. And so when the students would come in, um, we had like these little sunglasses and so they would pick up sunglasses and so at the beginning of these sessions you know all the students were wearing these dark sunglasses sitting back you know on their phones you know half asleep whatever it may be it was, it was early in the morning um and then you know halfway through all the way to the end you know the, su the sunglasses were off they were leaning forward they they were interactive and you could see that that message had had been imparted on them and you know eyes open jaws dropped and it, and it was really impactful and it is a really powerful session and to see that being translated in front of your eyes is is so compelling too and just justifying to say that that you know this intervention is, is going to save lives yeah we've we've had students get up um, at the end, walk out in the hallway, call their mother and say, stop, stop with your phone when you're driving. Mm -hmm. and, and that to me, I mean, our goal with this whole outreach is if we can change the driving behavior of our youth and as they grow, they're gonna, they're gonna ultimately be better drivers uh, on our roadway, but as they grow and have children, they're gonna impart that on their children. So it's gonna be kind of like the seatbelt. It's like, yeah, put on your seatbelt. What do you, like? Why do you not have your seatbelt on? That, that was that's like the question that we usually get when we get into cars. Now it's like, why are we going? Because like, you don't have your seatbelt on. So uh, that that's really important. And that and that that session that Kelly talked about. These are with real ER doctors and nurses. And when they and it is very real. They have an actor come in. There's fake blood. They have a, they have um, all the medical equipment there, yeah. and I mean, they're explaining it too. Like something that blew me away about that session is the ripple effect that that they cover about. It's not just you that would that may lose your life, but the impact on your parents financially. That that you don't even understand at that age. I certainly didn't insurance and how financially crippling 
even if you walk away, all of that can be to your family. And sort of the ripple effects where a crash, even if it is a single vehicle, single person crash, how many people that affects you. And lastly to note, I mean, young drivers in the state of Georgia, they usually, they account for about 9% of our licensed drivers for the state. Yet they account for 11% of our fatal crashes for the state. So there's an overrepresentation there. And so that's a number that we're gonna look at closely from Kelly and I's standpoint. What does that number look like in the upcoming years? After we do these type of intervention methods, we're hoping to see that number tick down for sure. And changing those habits. Mike's, Mike's story is incredible to me and I have to give him so much credit because of how bold and brave he is with it. Because when, as he tells his story, uh, which I, I cannot, I do no justice to. So, you know, check out the Let's See 43 Foundation and look at their message. But Philip was a great guy, totally um, honored and respected by his teammates, just great in the community. And, and there were a lot of mistakes made in that crash. There was no seatbelts, there was drinking, there was speeding. So a lot of the things that really echo our Drive Alert Arrive Alive message, Mike tackles because he doesn't want to see this happen to another family. And, and I say often as a mother, I am so fortunate that I don't have that story to tell. Um, and so having that as a partner to our Drive Alert Arrive Alive program and, ha- and seeing the kids really digest this is going to is going to set us up for more responsible drivers in the future. I have to believe that that the the message with Drive Alert Arrive Alive and and Mike's message through Let's See 43 is is such a great opportunity for us to change habits early or to stop habits before they start. So I know another effort that we have is kind of revising um, the driver's manual, the driver's ed manual. so that it's from all roadway users' perspective, you know, how to use the pedestrian infrastructure and what does that look like um, from the other perspectives, how, where should the cyclists be, um, things like that. So that's another great, great effort that we're tackling. I think that, focus on pedestrian alone in terms of the VRU, the terms of the increase, you know, percent increase in terms of fatalities for pedestrians in our state, and again, it's not just a Georgia problem. It, it's really a Southeast problem. Uh, every state in the Southeast is, is having this uh, challenge in terms of how do we combat the rise of pedestrian fatalities. That that percent increase is higher than any other area, emphasis area that we look at um, in, in our program. And I think for, you'll see that emphasis area being taken up. I mean. You, me and Kelly have been working on projects for the past three years that you'll see come into fruition here very soon, but it is major, impactful, multimodal projects um, from a, from the state to you too. And Going you bring back up, to Donald Lee. Yeah, I mean, Donald yeah. Lee is a good example. It's Yeah, I mean, we, we did a study uh, that focused in on where, within, within the Beltline, where on our state routes do we have the opportunity to go to more of a multimodal use or change the context of the roadway. And we were surprised at what we found. I mean, we looked at all the different measures and parameters, et cetera, but we we're able to find on these roadways that you have the capacity to take a lane away mm-hmm. and put in a bike lane or put in more pedestrian crossings, et cetera. So we have several projects that are either under design or finishing up the study for it, or technically starting construction with Donald Lee. Yeah, and, and this is something, again, we're also looking at different ways. How can we do this faster? How can we do this cheaper? So we've looking at, at partnerships. We also have a great, you know, safety equipment purchase program where the locals can, we can purchase, use our federal funds to purchase, you know, mass arms for pedestrian hybrid beacons um, and rectangular rapid flashing beacons, but different types of pedestrian crossings. Um, that the locals can install and maintain, and that's another mechanism that we can get things done faster and get the improvements actually installed out there and saving lives as opposed to waiting for a longer-term project. We sat down over a year ago and said, look, we want to get safety projects out faster. How do we do that? Well, if we don't need right-of-way or if we don't have environmental impacts, why do we need to go to the standard process? Let's expedite that. And everybody was on board with that. So we've now, we're about to have projects that are, are gonna be let here in June that it, it standard, typical three years to get a safety project out. We're getting these projects out in less than a year, year and a half. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, and that's that's just you know great for everybody involved, including the the users on, on, on in terms of the public. I mean, we're getting these safety features out faster, um, and that's always been a goal of ours. That's the whole goal is is to save lives. So we can do as much analysis you know as we want, but if we don't actually get it out there, get it in the ground. We're not going to see those changes. And just to echo, it's that's all road users. That's pedestrians, yep. that's bike, that's motorists, and that's all areas of the state. We're not just talking major metro areas. We're talking looking at top to bottom, urban, rural, every everyone who's a road user. And again, that's not just behind the wheel. Every area of the state. That's that's a dynamic job to make those decisions yeah, and, and to it, look at all of the like information. Those are all battling each other either in terms of priority. We we identified through a data-driven process certain emphasis areas so pedestrians bikes vulnerable roadway users we have specific projects aimed at that emphasis area to target those specific trends that we're seeing you brought up motorcycles we have specific motorcycle guardrail projects um, to target that emphasis area in the locations that we're seeing that so we're doing that through a data-driven process i'll say too i mean a lot of safety countermeasures are not very popular at the beginning. I mean, let's let's go let's wind the clock back and let's talk about roundabouts. Roundabouts. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna talk about roundabouts. Death circle. Don't know how to use it. This is crazy. You guys are crazy. Why do you think this is gonna work? Uh, the and, traffic calming method that's been used since the dawn of time. Exactly. <laughs> and and honestly, I mean, I, I will stand by this. They're, the only silver bullet in safety in order to really eliminate crashes is we get rid of the roadway. That's not going to be the option of a large majority of the time. So a roundabout is very close to that. I mean, we're talking about up to 80%, 80-something percent reductions in fatalities and serious injuries, et cetera. But when we go out and we pitch projects and we work with the community and that is something me and Kelly do take pride in is we like to get out and talk with the community. So when we do public information, open houses, we like to be there. It goes back to education. Yeah. Every pocket that we can propagate that safety culture, we want to take advantage of through every public informational open house, every local government interaction possible. Yeah. So I would say to the listeners is be open-minded when it comes to these safety countermeasures. Um, they're, we're not bringing something up just to try it out. Like they're, they're proven, but they're they're elsewhere in in the world or in in the United States, etc. And and they work. And, and we want to be able to to utilize those to be able to combat what we see in terms of the crash data. I mean, another really good one is rumble strips. A few years ago, um, I was approached when I was the manager of the program and said, "Hey, we want to give the safety program additional funds this year." I know we're kind of late in the game, but can you spend an extra $70 million? And so remember, it's a $100 million program, so that's almost double what the program is. And not thinking, I just said yes. I was like, let's, I'll make it happen. And we really focused in on cable barriers and rumble strips. We spent probably a little over $50 million in that. Last year, the projects were complete. It was really one of our, we had about a half a year to a full year's worth of data. In lane departure and roadway departure, those were some of the few areas that we had actually reductions. And I'm not going to take all the credit. The program's not going to take all the credit for that. We're going to take some or and and say that, yes, those actually made a difference. And why we saw, because last year, that's not the case in all the emphasis areas that we had in terms of the reductions. This year's a different story. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at the numbers now, and we have, we have reductions in everything besides uh, maybe one category. 23% reduction so far this year compared to this point this year to this point last year. That's 116 less fatalities that we have so far, um, which is outstanding. I hope that trend continues. Absolutely. It'll um, continue. It'll continue. <laughs> Put it out there. And, but it goes back to rumble strips is that that's a very easy countermeasure that we were able to put on our roadways. I think we now cover close to 100% of our interstate with rumble strips. And in terms of our state route system, I think we're in the 80s, right? Yeah. 80%. Uh, so a vast majority of our state routes, but we still, and, and it's fine. We still get the conversation back of, wow, these, these things are going to kill somebody. Well, no, 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 it's the opposite. And, and I think, uh, uh, our communication group does an outstanding job doing that outreach through social media saying like, this is what a rumble strip is meant for. This is what it's supposed to do, et cetera. Uh, so just getting the word out on the countermeasures, I think is extremely important because they obviously are making a difference. We all know I love a roundabout. I have, I've, 
absolutely adore roundabouts and I try to preach that to anyone who brings it up, which is they work, they work. It, it's shown. In, and once you really start to explain it, again, it's that really bringing the conversation to the people who need it most. They get it. Um, but y'all have so many great, y'all have so much great stuff going on. And, and we are encouraged that those trends will continue in the right direction. Um, and because y'all are doing a great job um, and I know your team. So shout out to everyone who works with y'all and, and your team. Um, so, but, but thanks for coming on today. Great conversation about safety. Um, it, it's not one that needs to end. We could do this every month, talk about safety. And so we'll certainly have y'all back soon. Uh, maybe uh, this time next year, talk about how, how far down we were, how the trends, what, what we did, what was great and how our numbers started to turn back in the right direction. Um, but stay with us if you're listening. We are going to come back from a short commercial break, and we're going to hear a story of a crash survivor on her road to recovery. Uh, it's such an inspirational story. So stay with us. You're listening to Ahead of the Curve. On most days, you are a pedestrian at some point, whether you realize it or not. From walking across a parking lot to get to where you need to go, to fixing a flat on the side of the road, there are many instances when you might not realize it, but you are a pedestrian. Both drivers and walkers have a shared responsibility to look out for each other. It's important to always pay attention when walking and driving. Follow the rules of the road and obey signs and signals. If you break down, be sure to stay in your car until help arrives. And always remember to see and be seen. This is a message from the Georgia Department of Transportation. We are going to close out today's episode with a very special duo, uh, one that I have not, I, I just met, um, but your names sort of reverberate around this office because everyone in this office who's met you, JC, has been so touched by your story. So we are so thankful to have you and Bethann to have you here today to talk about your story. Um, and I, I don't tell your story because it's it, I couldn't even begin to put it into words. So what, what can you tell us about your story? Well, basically, I got hit by a train. In 2016, right by the house where where I live, I was 17. And you have been through, that's almost seven years now, of, of rehabilitation because of, because of this accident. How, where are you now? I am now not where I'm want to be in the end but now I'm riding horses and going to the gym and living life. JC how much do you remember before the crash? Not really much. Um, I've watched some of your amazing barrel racing videos, and they're inspirational. I am not a horse. I, I don't. I've never ridden. I mean, I've done regular riding, but you're so good. And so I know that was your life before. You were you were super competitive. Um, that was. Would you say that was your personality, JC, the yes, barrel racer? Very much so. So to not be able to do that at the level that you had before the crash. How has that been? I guess it, there's a lot of emotions there, right? Yes. It's kind of sucked. Yeah. I can imagine because that was, that was my life. That was your life. And I know that you're headed in that direction. And I think, I think everyone who has met you and knows that you're going to get there, um, that you have such a passion for horses. You also have a passion for your message, which is, having people, not just kids, not, I mean, I think we first got connected at one of the Let's See Foundations, which focuses on talking to youth, but it's anyone behind the wheel. What's your message to people when they get behind the wheel? Um, just 
be extra careful, like when you're pa- passing, when you're going through a train, train tracks, just drive slowly and look both ways. Beth Ann, as as a mom, when she first got her car keys to drive, how, did you have were, were you know, some moms are anxious and some moms are excited for the freedom. I know JC was excited. Probably you were excited for the freedom. Yes, very much so. And Bethany, how did you feel? JC was driving. Uh, you know, we live in a very rural, ages. very rural area. Right. Um, my husband's a hay farmer. So she had been driving, even pulling the, the trailers and driving tractors and uh, pulling her horses just around our, our mm-hmm. place right there for years before she got her license. So she was a, a very good driver, um, very experienced. She had driven with us, you know, as we traveled to Oklahoma and Wyoming and places. She had uh, driven us with our truck and trailer. So really, I, I didn't. I did not worry about her as a driver. Um, we'd been, you know, we've lived by these tracks all of her life, and the funny thing is that I had had an incident at these tracks years ago, and for several years after uh, my son, I had not let him leave our driveway until if I heard a train, until I knew that the train was actually in the intersection crossing because I was horrified about that. By the time she came along, I don't know, I just didn't worry anymore because she knew the stories and we had, you know, talked about it and she was always a a safe driver there um never had any issues so as a driver she was responsible and I just you know really wasn't ever concerned about that happening now going through the past seven years of rehab what what's been the hardest thing for you to have to to relearn or to um retrain your Definitely not, not talking to my friends, that was hard. Mm -hmm. Like, I have friends all over, but that was the most hard, hardest. That's got to be hard when you look back, because something that, that is, was an accident, something that's not your fault, that, that, that could define friendships. So tell me about writing now about barrel racing now well now i have to wear a flipping helmet which i did not before but and she hates that but it's okay but are you glad to be back i am i'm glad to be back on ducky my good horse what's your goals what are your long-term goals for for racing to to rope I miss roping and I plan on getting back there soon that was her love was breakaway roping that was what I loved and so that's something we haven't been able to resume on horseback yet yep um it's actually the the fastest event in the sport of rodeo and of course I can't sway her to pick up a different discipline that I don't think that you could sway her to do much <laughs> that's where her heart is and uh that's and, and you were a champion breakaway roper well and her father as well so it, it it is in there in the blood I guess and um her brother was very extremely competitive as well so but she loves the barrel racing she is back competing and and winning money but not in the divisional level that she wants but like she said, the roping is is her is her ultimate goal. How how has y'all's relationship evolved throughout this journey? Well, nothing really has changed. Yet Except a lot. Except I need mom all the time. Yeah, she was prior to the accident. JC was very independent. Uh, my our granddaughter lives with us, and she actually helped raise her. And like she said, now the tables are turned and her niece helps take care of her. And, um, you know, JC just did her own thing. She hauled herself to practice. Uh, She was a a great student. Uh, We didn't have to oversee that. She 
she took care of that as well. Um, she was really just branching out and, and living her life. Um, about a week before the accident, she had actually sent me a picture uh, of a pond on, on our family farm, and she said, I love where I live, I love my life. And um, our relationship, we were close, but uh, she's a daddy's girl, always has been. Um, very close, but I was there as she needed, and she was, she was, you know, branching on off and becoming her own person and, and doing what she loved. She did um, have her eye set on being a speech pathologist. That was her career goal. Um, she was going to try to go to school locally and rodeo some because uh, the opportunities in the sport of rodeo have definitely advanced in the past few years, and she wanted to kind of be able to work both. Now um, we spend a lot of time together, more time together. Uh, it's definitely been life-changing for all of us. Um, she is very dependent on me for her for personal things. We have great help and have all along with uh, friends that have worked for us and helped her. And we have um, a young lady now that has known JC all of her life. And she and JC during the week go and do their own thing. She takes JC to her therapies, appointments, but very dependent, much more dependent than I wanted her to be on me at this phase in her life and my life. And definitely not what she wanted. Um, JC, is that hard to have the spirit of independence and to and and to be in a position as as you are working through therapy and that where you you're still at home and you have, but your but I know your spirit is your spirit has not changed. You're you're an independent spirit. You're a go getter. Is that hard to sort of balance that? It kind of sucks. I, I absolutely know that in your personality. That's got to be hard because you're you're managing all the putting all these pieces together. Yes. And that drive, but having to also say, "Well, I can't really be independent right now because of this." That's that's got to be an, um, the emotional part of this. Right. Fault. <laughs> Do, is there an emotional part and oh. a physical? I mean, obviously oh. there is. The, Ooh, we talk can, about the emotional. We part can and really the get part. into that. Yeah. Um, JC and I try not to have any emotional. Um, spells at the same time because one has to lift the other up and it's it's a really crazy thing to me because we know how blessed we are we've seen so many of our friends that that have been on journeys like ours that that haven't had this outcome and would love to so you you have a feeling of guilt sometimes when you have a downtime because there's so many who would give anything to be able to go and do like we do. And that helps put things back in perspective for us. However, at the stage just where we so, are. Sometimes it just sucks. Yes. That's, it's just the way it is. Sometimes it's just still there and we're still dealing with a traumatic brain injury and it's life changing. And with every stage that you get to, there's still obstacles to overcome. What's your, what's your, I guess, favorite, what's the most enjoyable part of, of the last, uh, of the therapy process? Um, realizing I'm strong. You are very strong. You're talking about push-ups. I, your push-ups are amazing. You are very strong, but mentally and physically. Um, and so the conversation with y'all brings up this entirely different thing that I don't think people can, they, they don't think about it because it's, I can't put myself in your shoes. No one can, unless they're a parent of a child who has suffered brain injury, traumatic brain injury, and and thankfully is still with them. And so, but your seven years has been a journey through, um, I'm sure, expense. I'm sure emotional toll, physical toll. You have, um, I was looking at, at uh, JBT Pushing Barriers Instagram, and something really struck me, which was, Brain injury is like rebuilding after natural disasters. There's a great deal of time, blood, sweat, tears, and expense involved in the reconstruction process. That, it's, that is accurate. It's, it, it's so much on you. It's so much on you. It's so much on you. It, it's, you're, you're impacting people in your circle, outside your circle. 
that may not even understand that that even if you walk away from from something as serious as JC's crash, that there is a journey ahead that is that is hard. It's it. I'm, I know that there are so many parts that are rewarding, getting back on a horse, the incremental wins, but. <laughs> when, when you talked about Lutzi and you said that you saw the the section where they had they talked about brain trauma and they talked about you said that's so real kids don't know that and they don't know what the journey will be if they walk away from that well as we sat in that uh, session at the last summit uh, the ladies presenting had a replica of the brain and as they talked about the brain and the different parts and what it what it controlled her, her injury was a diffused axonal injury with brain shearing. So it wasn't focused in one area. It was all over. So as they took that brain apart and explained, it was like they were talking about her specific case. And I looked at John. I was like, they're just hitting everything that she goes through. Speech, balance. Her balance keeps her from being majorly independent. Uh, she walks, but she we don't get far from her because she could fall at any moment. It's just that part of the brain has not connected, and we're going to keep working. It's so much better. But um, everything they hit on. So the Lutzi Foundation and what that is doing is an amazing thing, and we've just got to get kids and adults to open their eyes and really think about this and to, like J.C. said, in our fast-paced world, you just – You've got to slow down and take the time and be careful, super careful. You can't depend on always safety devices working, uh, whether, you know, no matter where it is. You can't depend on everyone else on the road paying attention or in the train paying attention. They did not see her. She did not see them. There's there's so many, and she said, you you just got, you have to slow down and make sure you get to where you're going. Somewhere, someone's going to hear this conversation. They're going to think twice because J.C., told them to. JC told them to slow down and they're going to think twice because they're going to hear this. But you won't know that y'all won't know that y'all saved that person's life. What I'm trying to say is um, that there are lives that, that this conversation will save. We sh- and you're we never going to be able to shake so. their hand because they won't even know it. You won't know it. Um, and so JC, is that the goal long term to, to rope and to spread your message? I, I do wish that that what, is the goal. What um, what are what are your, what are your fears moving forward? Kind of fearless. I was about, I was I was just about to say after asking, I was like, she isn't afraid. You're you're the power forward, Bethann. What are your fears? Um, her fears too, though she does yeah. express her fears. Mm-hmm. She doesn't open up about the negative as much. But there are times that at night when she lays down, she seems to think her mind gets going. And her fears that she has expressed to me is, number one, will she ever be independent? Will she be able to drive herself again? Will she be able to live on her own? Will she be able to haul off with her friends to rodeos? Will she be able to have some sort of a career where she has an income and she has those fears? And they're very real. Um, how do you work past that? Or how, how do you? Ooh, I mean, because a faith because that, in God, that, that faith can, in God to handle it. And sometimes I feel ignorant to th- say, "Okay, God, I, I, you know, what's the plan? What do you want us to do? What? How do we prepare for her future? Um, we're doing all we can do, and we've certainly had people stand behind us. But this is a lifelong thing, and just like her uh, therapy with Dr. Daigle is extremely costly for a week of intensive therapy with him, which he really brings her along, but it's $10,000 out of pocket. That's not to mention all the, she's not on any medication, she's on supplements, but they are extremely expensive monthly, um, plus all of her, uh, you know, therapies that she does around the house and it's just, it's a huge financial strain, and we are blessed to be able to do what we can, but honestly, we need to be doing more because she could progress more. We need to be seeing Dr. Kyle Daigle more often. She needs to go about four times a year. Um, 
we haven't been in, in a year, and we're going back soon. But we can't also quit living a life of enjoyment as, as well, but great fears there, fears for her, fears for me. But how do we handle it? I just pray that God will guide us and he will take care of us and he will take care of her. She is pretty fearless, but she does worry about that. And um, we have a strong family support. However, they're all very, very busy. If something were to happen to John, and I don't even like to travel with John by mm -hmm. myself without her, which it could happen even if she's with us, but we don't like to go off. We're not comfortable going off for fear, and she's not either she's not comfortable because for fear something will happen to the two of us because her life would again change dramatically. She would be loved and cared for, but not how she is now. JC, do you worry about your parents while they're, while they're worrying about you? I do. Um, do you, if you could, 10 years in the future, what are you doing? Hopefully roping. I think when that happens... We will all come watch because I'd love to see it in person. Um, I would love to do it in person. <laughs> so. Y'all are very inspirational. And, and again, we are so thankful um, that, that we have been brought together through this um, and that y'all can help us to talk about safety on the road from an aspect that is the journey that y'all have had because not everyone has that journey. Um, and I don't... I don't want to put words in your mouth because, again, this is your journey. But I don't know if you would use the word lucky. Would you say lucky? When blessed. Blessed. Blessed that you that JC is here to... Now, she has asked, what do you think my purpose is? Why did he save me and not others? And I said, I just believe that, that God has a job for you to do. And because she was just a dynamic personality before... Um, we pray that she reaches many mm -hmm. through this and that our journey can save so many others from, you know, any kind of accidents and just trying to, you know, be, be safer on the highways and behind the wheel and in, in, in anything you do, boating, whatever. And for anyone listening, it can, everything can change in a minute. In an instant. In an instant. Like, one minute you can be 100% okay. The next, like, the time you cross the tracks or wherever you are, you can get hit. That's, I mean, it's it's sobering, but it, it's a great reminder for everyone as they get behind the wheel, a passenger in a car, that we all have, we all have a role to play in safety on our roads, and we are so thankful for, for y'all's willingness to let us help tell your story. Because, um, J.C., you say, uh, y'all, I got this, y'all. Yeah. got this, y'all. So we are going to link y'all to, to learn more about J.C., watch some of the videos. I have been watching the videos a lot. Um, <laughs> again, they're so inspirational. You are an inspiration. Now, As a mom, you're an inspiration. Um, well, thank you. it's just, uh, I hope we are. I hope that this, our journey can touch so many lives and help so many others. Um, we've been inspired by so many people along the way uh, that have been with us from the get beginning. Triumph over tragedy, Reggie Jones family. Initially, when JC's accident happened, we were naive, uh, unbeknowings to what a brain injury was. And um, we just thought, you know, she's she looked beautiful. She, she had a broken collarbone. The rest was brain injury. We had no experience with that. We thought she would, you know, wake up. We'd do a few weeks of therapy. We'd be back on the road to all her national finals that she'd qualified for and everything. And, um, you know, Reggie Jones, a friend through the barrel racing community, reached out by phone. He said, you got to get her to Shepherd Center in Atlanta. We'd never heard of it. Um, he's been with us all along, as well as the followers she has a prayers for J.C. Beth Thomas on um, Facebook. We have, for seven years, we have shared our journey. We were doing it daily, of course, as life presumes. We've had to spread it out over time. Y'all are time. busy. And um, anyway, that's a good thing. 
Instagram. on Instagram, the JBT Pushing That's what Barriers. I follow, I guess I follow JBT Pushing Barriers. Plus JC Thomas on Instagram. She had her own Instagram. Um, but we have just had so many people that have helped us along the way, and financially, we couldn't have even done it without them. And it is um, quite a journey. We will keep plugging along on this journey with God's help in our our village, and we will see where this takes us. But yes, we we want to be a part of helping others, and I think that that's a part of JC's future as as we proceed forward. It's therapeutic for her to be able to help. It's I believe a, a purpose for her. Well, you're. In, uh, I keep saying inspirational. I don't want to overuse it, but you're inspirational <laughs> to me. You are a reminder every time I get behind the wheel. If my daughter in the back doesn't tell me two hands on the wheel, um, I, I'll. This conversation's gonna. You're gonna be the little angel on my shoulder every time I get in the car. That reminds <laughs> me, and and I hope you are that for all of our listeners because your story is so important uh, for everyone. And, and again, we thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having us. I'm Natalie Dale. I'm your host, and thank you so much for joining us. Join us next time as we continue to spotlight the amazing people, programs, and projects that make Georgia DOT ahead of the curve.